The book of Acts chapter 3 verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those into going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked at him and asked the John, then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth's walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he met with them, then he went with them into the temple court, walking and jumping and praising God. Father, this tonight, to God, I thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, tonight, to God, I pray that you'll anoint my mind, to God, my lips. So, God, as I speak your word, I pray that, God, oh God, it will fall in fertile soil, oh God. I pray, oh God, that the words of my mouth, oh God, and let the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, oh God. You are my rock and my salvation. Amen and amen. You may be seated tonight. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the church that we find in the early part of Acts. It's a fledgling church. It's been ignited on Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. And when I say ignited, that's what I mean. This church is on fire for, on fire for Jesus. 3,000 people came into the kingdom in their first gathering. What we will discover this evening is that when a people, when a church, when a team is captured by a cause... And when a team can see the big picture through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there's no stopping that team from achieving its goals. I'm going to ask you questions tonight. Questions like, have you been captured by a cause? Have you been captured by a cause that Jesus has given us? And I'm going to ask you questions surrounding your call. Do you understand your call? And we're going to ask you, do you understand the Great Commission? And have you obeyed it this week? You see, the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It is a command that we were given. I'm going to say it again. It's not a suggestion. Jesus didn't give it and suggested that the disciples go and maybe reach people for his honor and his glory. He gave them a command to reach the world for his honor, for his honor and for his glory. Can somebody say amen? I read a quote that said that too many Christians have become keepers of the aquarium and are no longer fishers of men. I've read a, read a quote that says that Christians are no longer fishers of men, but they've now become keepers of the aquarium. Basically, what they are saying is that the fish that's in the pond or the fish that we have, that's okay for us. We are okay with that. We've done our work. Well, my friend, I've got news for you. There are many more people that need to hear the gospel. Many more people need to get saved. Many people need to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Now, the, the, the word capture, the meaning of it is to take captive, uh, captive as by force or craft or seize, to gain possession or control of. I read a story of Winston Churchill. Now, if you know Winston Churchill, he was one of the great leaders in our day. He understood the law of the big picture. It is said that during World War II, when Britain was experiencing its darkest days, the country had a difficult time keeping men working in the coal mines. Many wanted to give up their dirty, thankless jobs in the dangerous mines to join the military service, which garnered much public praise and support. Yet their work in the mines was critical to the success of the war. You see, without the coal, and without the coal, 
the military and the people at home would be in trouble. So the prime minister faced thousands of coal miners one day and told them of their, of their importance to the war effort. How their role could make or break the goal of maintaining England's freedom. Churchill painted a picture of what it would be like when the war ended. Of the grand parade that would honor the people who fought the war. First would come the sailors of the navy, he said. The people who fought, who continued the tradition of Trafalgar and the defeat of the Spanish Armada. Next would come the best of Brit, the best and brightest of Britain, the pilots of the Royal Air Force who, who, who fended off the German air forces. Following them would be the soldiers who fought at Dunkirk. Then last of all would come the cold dust covered men in miners' caps. And Churchill indicated that someone from the crowd might say, where were you during the, the critical days of the struggle? And the voices of 10,000 men would respond, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the core. It is said that tears appeared in the eyes of those hardened men and they returned to their inglorious work with steely resolve, having been reminded of the role they were playing in the country's noble goal of preserving freedom for the Western world. Those men on that day knew what it was to be captured by the cause of freedom. They understood that to work behind the scenes is sometimes more important than being on the front line or being in the limelight. They came to understand that they had a role to play and that the fact that they were not personally known had nothing to do or had no impact on the freedom that they were trying to get for somebody else. My friend, we have a cause that is for freedom today. Too many young men and women are bound to addiction, prostitution. Too many are involved in gang violence. Too many families are torn apart because of domestic violence, incest, some molestation. Too many families are living in poverty. Just like these coal miners, we have a similar cause for freedom today. I said we have a similar cause for freedom today. We don't only have a cause for freedom, but we have a cause to preserve life. The cause of Jesus Christ is to carry out his great command and his great commission is to save captives free from sin and give them new hope for this life. My question, have you been captured by the cause this evening? What does the great commission ask us to do? I'm glad you asked. Very simply, there are four questions, four action words, phrases that we need to pay attention to. Jesus in his great commission that he gave the church right before he was taken into heaven, in Matthew 28 with verse 18, found in Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, has four action words that I believe is critical for us to understand. It reads as follows, says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The first thing that we need to do is to go into the world and find people who need Jesus. We need to go into the world and see hurting people and share with them the good news of the gospel. The church is supposed to be going to people, continually going to people. And people are not supposed to be coming to the church. Evangelist Freddie Cage tells of visiting two churches back to back. And it was a great lesson in opposites. He said that, I, that one church was dying, the other one was growing and thriving. The first had a big sign out front that said, Oh, welcome, come in. And it was dying. The other was thriving, but its sign wasn't on the outside. It was just on inside of the door. You could only see it from the inside as you made your way out. And it read, You are now entering the mission field. 
The sign was saying, go out and bring them from the highways and byways. The sign was saying that, you know what, we're not a people that's supposed to sit just in the pews and look okay in our news. Now I know not everybody used to be, you know, used to look nice. And, and some of us want to be look nicer than we used to. But I have got news for you. That's not the reason why you're in church this evening. You're supposed to be a, a person that goes and tells people that, you know what, there's a Jesus that is able to change you. There's a God that is able to transform you. There's a God that I know that looks past your transgressions. There's a God that is able to do great and mighty things in your life if you just accept him. Can somebody say amen? You see, this is the thing that we find today. Is that because we come from, some of us come from a life of gangsterism, we, we believe that now we, we should not go back into those areas. Yes, my friend, maybe for the first few months or maybe the first year or, or maybe the two years, you, you, you don't go back to where you're from. But I believe that eventually you need to go and tell somebody that, you know what, I used to be like you. I used to get strung out on dope. I used to inject myself with heroin. But you know what, the day I called upon the name of Jesus, he set me free. He delivered me and today I'm leading a new life, a, a life that brings hope to other people. I just want to let you know that if he could do it for me, he can do it for you. Somebody needs to know it. Somebody needs to be told. Somebody needs to be saved for the honor and glory of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? You see the things we need to go and not just look nice. I know I look okay. I don't have a big jeans on like the Cholos. Amen. We don't do that. We do the skinny, amen. I know some of you don't like it. It's okay. I'm, I'm leaving anyway. I can wear anything I want. The second word that I see is to make. This is a verb. It's an action on our part as Christians. We are, we, are, we are to make disciples. In other words, we are to find lost people and make them disciples of God Most High. As a church, as individuals, as, as a church, as individual Christians, we need to be making disciples by winning and mentoring new Christians. Now, this is not an issue of gifts. To make a disciple is not an issue of gifts. You don't need to be gifted in anything specific to make a disciple. This is not an issue of gifts. This is a life action by people captured by the cause of Christ. It's a life action when you see somebody say, you know what, I might not know a lot and I, I might not be as educated as the next person, but what I know, I can teach you. And if you are willing to, you might see a new life. I might not be able to write good or sing good. Or I might not be able to rap or, or preach the word from behind the pulpit. I, I might not have all these gifts, but one thing I know is that I've applied, I've applied some basics. I've learned what it is to pray. I've learned what it is to fast. I know what it is to get into the presence of a most I God, I've known, I know what it is to press through in the midst of adversity. I can show you that. I can teach you that if you want it. And you can help people and make them a disciple. Now let me tell you something. To make a disciple is, is much more than just telling them about what to do. It's about exemplifying what it is that they should do. I read another story. And this story is about the guy named Joe. The guy's name is Joe, and Joe used to be a drunkard, a, a derelict. He used to drunk, drink a lot, and he would, you know, get dirt himself and all these different things. But then he got saved at a mission. And when he got saved, he got sobered up. And because God was able to change his life and heal him, he had a burden for people like him. So what Joe, Joe would do is that when these people, these guys would come in, they go sick, you know, all these alcoholics, and when they would sick, 
He would clean up after them if they threw up. He would clean them. You know, all those different things. Job had a heart for his people. One day at one of the meetings, a guy was saying at the, at, at, you know, they were having a street rally or something. And one of the guys were crying out, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. And the preacher thought it odd when he looked at the guy. And after the meeting, he went to the guy and he asked him, uh, don't you, oh, I heard you uh, screaming, make me like Joe. Don't you want to be like Jesus? And this guy looked at the preacher and he asked him, is he like Joe? The guy asked him, I asked the preacher, is he like Joe? What that means is that Joe's life was exemplifying what it was to be a Christian. Joe's life exemplified what it was to help people. You see, not everybody knows who Jesus is. Not everybody knows what Jesus is able to do. Not everybody knows that Jesus can have Peter walk on water. Not everybody knows that Jesus can raise dead people and bring them back to life. Not everybody knows that Jesus is able to provide for you in your time of need. Not everybody knows that, but people see you. People see you and they see your life. People don't, some people don't even know what it is to pray, but they see the saliva of a person that is captured by a cause. Joe was living a life. Joe was leading my example. Joe was showing him, you know what? This is what I do. No one, not for a claim, not to be a get a pet on my back, not for any of those things. Yes, I want to go to heaven. That is my ultimate reward. But now there's people dying, people that's in misery, people that needs to be cleaned up, and I'm going to be that person that's going to do it for the honor and glory of Jesus. Somebody needs to be like Joe. Somebody needs to be like Joe. Somebody needs to get their hands dirty and clean the people that needs to be cleaned up. Can somebody say amen? It's about Joe and being that example. The third thing speaks of baptizing people. We're doing that this Sunday, Father's Day Sunday. People will be baptized. They will make a public testimony of what God has done in, them, in their life. An outward expression of an inner grace. Amen. The fourth thing is to teach. This is an action word that we know well. We are called to teach our people the ways of God. And to teach is more than giving words. It's an action. We can teach by the way we model Christ in our life. We teach as we love out this great commission in our life. Do you know the best way to develop strong committed Christians in our church? is to be one. The best way to develop strong committed Christians is to be one. People need to see what they, people need to see in you what they are supposed to be. They need to see in you what they are supposed to become. Not in books or book on the TV or in books. They need to see in you what they're supposed to become in Jesus, just like Joe. You see, it's hard for young Christians to keep striving to move forward when they don't see examples of spiritual maturity in the church. When people struggle to make sense of things they need to see in us, what it is to be a Christian. Sometimes you and I is the only glimpse of God they get. So if we are a bunch of ill-disciplined, uncommitted people, that is what young Christians will think Christianity is about. We will thus produce a bunch of ill-disciplined, uncommitted Christians. How do we develop strong committed Christians? Be one. Simple. Be one. Set the, set the example in your words, in your actions, and in your attitudes. I thank God for this ministry. I thank God for a ministry that is so strong 
in on discipleship, that is strong in discipleship, strong in mentorship, strong in building the worst of the worst into noble men and women of character, turning weak things into strong, dependable warriors in the army of God. I'm blessed that we have examples in our churches, examples in our movement, from Pastor Sunny down to Pastor Esteban, to Pastor Chucky, to Pastor Andre Henderson. I can name so many people that has exemplified in their lives, has shown me what it is to be a strong, committed Christian. Have I had my ups and downs? Yes, my friend. But you know what? At times when God seemed far from me, I could look at those men that's all the way from America, sitting in the front pews there in Cape Town, South Africa, and I could look at them far away from their families far away from the loved ones just now coming back past the world his mother passed away just made it in time to say his final goodbye I look at those people that is not sitting in a prayer closet just praying oh God let us help the world they step out of that closet my friend and they step into the streets right now they're building a ministry that we almost have a thousand people right there in Cape Town South Africa what stupid people like myself fools like myself and no good they turning no good men and women into men and woman of valor, of noble character. And somebody say, man, we have examples. We have examples. We have examples. People that made disciples, people that are showing us, people that's laying down their lives, people that's going before us, families that are dying, and they know that they are the ones that can make a difference. We have great men of God. Or men of a great God that, that's, that we have in our ministry. Men that know that there are weaklings that need the sufficient power of God to make it in their life. Men of a great God that rely on him. That knows that they need the anointing of God to minister and be effective. They don't rely on charisma and speech. But on the anointing of God. And they exemplify what it is. To live for, for Christ. You see a life lived right. A life captured by the cause reaches and changes the worst of the worst and turn them into the best of the best. Turns a drug addict, thief, hijacker, bank robber into a missionary. Turns prostitutes into pastors, wives, and women's home directors. Turns high school dropouts into successful professionals in the workplace. A life captured by the cause brings hopes, brings hope, restores families, preserves life, and never give up. Somebody say amen. Because a life captured by the cause understands the importance of pressing on and, pers and pers persevering even in adversity. Now myself, like I said, I used, to go, I used to go to school, but I also did a few crazy things. Just a few, wasn't that bad. But what struck me about this ministry was when I, when I went into the Christian recovery home, I had tuberculosis, TB. Now I know it's not, you guys don't really get it that much here, but I got it from prison, smoked some weed. Couldn't roll my own blunts, amen. So I had a guy roll it. And then you don't roll it with the machine, just roll it and nick it. And this guy had tuberculosis. And I smoked TB. That's why he was so strong, I suppose. I I'm just kidding. But I got tuberculosis in prison, and for eight months I had hiccups. Between six to eight months I had hiccups 24 7. <coughs> <laughs> You know how annoying it is to have hiccups? At Imagine having it 24-7 for six to eight months straight. I had hiccups. But I went into our Christian recovery home. And as I went in there, they took me to the doctor. And what they told me was that if I took two days longer, I would have died of tuberculosis. I had no more 
minerals in my body, sodium, yodium, whatever you need to have. I didn't have any of those things left in my body. I had no bladder control. I was literally dying. I was half the size I am today. The clothes I wore was small, was too big for me. I wore 12, 11 to 12 year old shirts. 13 to 14 was, was baggy. I would look like a cholo. Amen. But what happened was the amazing thing was that when I set foot into the home, instead of them closing the door and sending me back to where I'm from, I'm from Pretoria, you know what they did? They took me to the hospital. For about four months straight, every day they took me, because in South Africa, there's this crazy thing, the people smoke the medication. The TB medication, they smoke it. So now they don't give it to the people anymore. You have to go to the clinic every day to go get your fix, to get your medication. So they took me every day for about two to three months, four months. About, they took me every day to go get my medication. They were not concerned about who I was, what I've done, what I thought about doing. All they looked at and saw, oh, this is a beat up young man that's in need of a savior. And you know what they did? They showed me that through their life that there was a living God. Although my father was a minister, I didn't want anything to do with church. I hated church. I despised church. I felt church was taking my father away from me because it was this meeting and that meeting, uh, this prayer meeting, and, and we would go out somewhere and we'd have to do a make a turn, you know, a U-turn because somebody was in something and we need to go to the hospital. So I res resented and despised church. And the enemy was using this thing that I had. You know what he did? He gave me everything I wanted to do. I excelled in it. Be it sports, I ex excelled in it. I almost turned pro playing tennis. Everything I did, I excelled in it. Went to school. I would go to varsity and still break into cars. I went, I started working at South African Bureau of Tennis, one of the biggest accreditation companies in South Africa. And I would, in between our lunch breaks and stuff, we would go do some crazy things, believe me, to make money. But when I got beat up when I, from being this high flyer and, and going to prison smoking weed and, and smoking dope and, and losing all this weight and, and almost dying, Victor Adams wasn't concerned about all those things. They weren't concerned about who my family was and, and what type of influence they had. Or they weren't concerned about any of those things. They saw a beat up young man about to die who needs a savior. They prayed for me. They told me, you know what? We know of a man that can heal you and we are going to lay hands on and we'll be trusting and believing God for a breakthrough in your life. They took the, the walk this road with me. They walked it with me and they took me to this hospital almost every day. You see, the thing is, those are the lives, those are people that are captured by a cause. Those are people that were willing to give up their lives, their, their lives of comfort, and step into the missionary field and say, you know what? God has called us. We're going to fulfill a calling. And as we fulfill this calling, people's going to get saved, my friend. You see, there's many, of, many people like myself that needs to get saved. There's many people like myself in Cape Town, South Africa, that needs to get saved. Just last week, nine people died in a small community called Delft. Nine people, nine isolated incidences. It's not even a war, a gang war. It's because of nine isolated incidences. Nine people, two days. When you saw that drama in Hanover Park, 24 people in two weeks were shot and killed. 
Innocent kids get killed. A four-year-old girl just got shot the other day in Port Elizabeth. A 12-year-old girl just got shot because they were after her mother and her father. They were witnesses in another murder case. You see, the devil is trying his utmost best to come and derail what God is busy doing in the city of Cape Town and then in Port Elizabeth. But I've got news for you, my friend. When there's people that are captured by the cause, when, when there's people that says, you know what, I don't care my, what my level of education is and I, I, I don't care where I come from. I know that I serve a big God, an awesome, mighty God that is able to empower me, that is able to strengthen me. And I will step into the enemy's den. I will bring back those treasures out of darkness. I will tell the world and show the devil that he is nothing to me for the God that I serve is a mighty God. He's a He's an awesome God. He's a strong tower. Oh, somebody needs to get excited for my God. He's the one that defeated the enemy on the cross of Calvary. He's able to do it if somebody is willing to step out by faith. Somebody needs to give the Lord a round of applause. Somebody needs to give the Lord a round of applause. Somebody needs to get excited for who he is. What he's able to do. Men's home. Some people might have told you that you will amount to nothing. I got news for you, my friend. I used to be in that same place. I used to sit in those same chairs where they would say, you know what? God is able to do great things through your life. And I would think they are high. I would think the preacher is high. But today I can tell you that my God is not a man that he shall lie. My God don't lie. My God gives promises and he's true to his promise. Isaiah 45 says the word goes out and you know what happens? It will not return void unto the king of kings. He says that his ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. No matter what I think about myself, my, no matter if I think I have the ability, my God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can think or imagine. Oh, my God can do exceedingly, above and beyond everything that you can think or imagine. Somebody say amen. When you read what Peter and John does, as they're about to enter, they see this guy asking them for money. Now what you understand and what you find is that Peter identified the need in this guy. Although this person was asking for money, Peter identified that money wasn't his need. He didn't have a financial need. He had a physical ailment. A physical need. My question tonight, are we seeing the need in the people? Peter and John understood that money was not the main need here. His first need was physical. So many times we fail to identify the real needs of people. Sometimes due to a lack of knowledge. Sometimes due to a lack of wisdom or discernment. Or sometimes just due to plain ignorance. We fail to seize the moment of saving souls or changing lives. Sometimes because we think we know, we end, in, we end up chasing people away. Rather than ministering and leading them to the Lord. But not Peter, my friend. Peter through the Holy Spirit met his first need and healed the man. And out of that came praise and worship to God. If we will be about the, felt, about the business of, the, of meeting the felt needs of people, believe me, God will get glory and people will be saved. 
Are you noticing the need around you? If you notice and identify the need, you are able to meet that need. Second thing, Peter only offered what he had. Verse 6 says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter didn't worry about what he didn't have. He didn't have an education. He didn't have any formal training. He didn't have a lifetime of experience in healing. He probably didn't even feel up to the task. But one thing he did have was the power of the Holy Spirit. And he trusted God for a miracle. And God didn't disappoint. Peter's faith is what made the difference this time. How does your faith affect your effectiveness with people? Have you ever thought about that? Do you have faith to heal people? Do you have faith to bring people, bring life to dead situations? Do you have enough faith to know that weeping might endure for a night, but that joy comes in the morning? Do you have enough faith to know that hardships is but for a season? Do you have enough faith to know that victory is yours, that prosperity is yours? Do you know that the enemy is defeated? Do you claim the providence of God in your life? Do you have faith enough? Do you have faith? You see, if you are lacking faith in what God can do, Chances are God is not going to bless your unbelief. That's just a thought. If you are lacking faith in what God can do, chances are God is not going to bless your unbelief. In the book of Mark, it speaks of, I think it's Mark chapter 11 verse 23, somewhere there. It speaks of have faith in God. I see some people think that you conjure up faith by having faith. Some people think that faith, they, they, they say, I have faith. And, and what they have is, they, try, they, they believe that faith is some magical, some magical potion or wand that they can swing. And things, all things will come and, and be okay for them. You see, the Bible says, have faith in God. And it says that if you ask for this, this mountain to be thrown in the sea, it will da- be done for you. You see, many people have a measure of faith. And with that, with that, I mean that some of us, all of us, we go to a doctor, Amen. And you have trust and belief that this guy is going to give you medication that's going to heal you. Can somebody say amen? And you have faith in this guy that the medication, you can't even pronounce the name. You don't even know what it is. You don't even know what, what is in it. All you know is that this guy said it's going to work and you take it, take him by his word and you drink that medication. Can somebody say amen? Or do you go study? Okay, it has got potassium in here. None of us do that. We have faith to believe that it's going to happen. Same, we all need to, you see that the doctor is, is the object of the man's faith, of the patient's faith. Another illustration, if they, I've read a story of two guys that was, uh, the, the one guy told, guy number one told guy number two, walk on the ice, there was a frozen lake, he told him, go on the ice, cut the hole in the ice and let's fish, let's catch some fish. Guy number two went and he went, you know, scared and he, he went on all fours, but then he turned back. Then back to guy number one, told him, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm too scared. Guy number one went and he walked confidently on the ice, cut a hole in the ice, and he started to fish. My question is, in what was this guy's faith? His faith was in the ice. His faith wasn't in faith itself. He didn't have faith in faith. He had faith in the ice. He had faith in the object. The, the object of his faith is the ice. He had faith that the ice was able to carry his weight. He had had faith that the ice, the uh, load-carrying ability of the ice was strong enough to carry his weight. He had had faith in the ice. The object of his faith is the ice. He's able to keep him up. He won't fall through. The same here, if if you understand, if you know the object of your faith, if you know the object of your faith, what made this guy walk on the ice? He knew the object of his faith. If you know the object of your faith, 
then you know what he's able to do for you. If you know who God is, then you know what he's able to do for you. If you know that God is Jehovah Jireh, then you know that I have a need, Lord. It's a financial need, but I you say that I can take you at your word, oh God. I'm going to give you my 10% of my time. I'm going to go beyond that, God. I'm going to step out by faith, oh God. And I'm going to give even more because I know that you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the object of your faith. Now, if you know who God is, if you know that he raises dead people, if you know that he heals people that have leprosy or, or people that were blind, if you, if you know that he did all these things, then you will know who the object of your faith is. And as you know who the object is, you know that I can stand in confidence declaring that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. My God is able to do great and mighty exploits for me. The object of your faith is the deal clincher, the game changer, if you know who he is. That is why it's so important for the men in the home especially. This time that you have spent it with the Lord. Stop unnecessary bickering and quarreling over a piece of meat or a burrito or some food. Spend time with the Lord. Get to know who God is. You have an advantage on the normal church people. They need to go to work, make some money, come home tight, still read, read the Bible. You have all day to get closer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the thing that kept me. That is the thing that kept me is the fact that I knew I had the opportunity to get closer to God. And although trials have come and trials have gone, I'm still standing because I stand on his promises. Can somebody say amen? Jesus Christ is the power people need. You are the messenger. You are the carrier of this truth to people. If you will trust God to do his part, God will use you. If you doubt that God will use you, then chances are he won't. He won't because you really don't believe. Trust God for a miracle. Trust God for the salvation of a loved one. For a job. Trust him for healing. Trust God for everything because he's willing and he's able. The all-sufficient God that we serve. Peter trusted and look what happened. The man walked and danced and jumped for joy. Do you believe that you are a carrier of joy? Do you believe that you are a bondage breaker? You see, you need to believe. Peter and John, another thing Peter and John did was they met the man where he was. Peter and John didn't have any expectations of this man. They didn't ask him to change his clothes or put out his cigarette to cut his hair. They didn't put expectation on this man before they reached out to him. They offered him grace and that's what God does today. Sometimes with some people need to look a certain way. Amen. He's got too many tattoos on his face. I cannot speak to him. But not, that's not who he should be. Peter and John acted immediately. There's no pause. There's no thinking about it. No praying about it. Sometimes that is our excuse, right? I need to pray about it. You get challenged, I need you to step out and trust God. I need you to do this and that. Yes, pastor, uh, let me pray about that. What were you doing all the other days? I have a Honestly, I have a question. What were you doing all the other days? That is, that is the lamest excuse that I've heard in church. And I'm sorry, it might not sound Christian tonight. But the bottom line is too many of us hide behind, I need to pray about it. If you say, God, use my life. If you made that altar call and you've cried and, and the tears were running, even some of the snot were dripping, amen. And you say, use me, Lord, use me, Lord. And you get challenged and you say, you need to go pray about it. Then you were just putting up a show. I'm sorry, Pastor Esteban, I just had to tell him. 
The bottom line is that there shouldn't be, when people come up when we need to pray about it. You know what? My wife and I were challenged to go to Durban and my wife was working full time. She had a job. We were sitting in a, in a meeting and, 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 and in the meeting they say, let's go, they, they want us to go to Durban. I sent my wife a text message. I didn't even speak to her to soften up. I sent her a very abrupt, like, impersonal message. They want us to go to Durban. What do you say? And to be honest, I think I was hoping she would say no. Let's pray about that. She says, yes, when do I resign? So I'm not, I'm just, I'm not coming here to play behind the pulpit and tell you stuff that I have not experienced. My wife quit the job that very moment and we packed up our bags and we went to Durban. We're not here to play church. This is not a church. We don't play church. Victory Outreach, we don't play church. We don't play church. I, I, I don't think, I, I couldn't even make it in my father's church. I'm not dissing my father's church. They have their own vision and, and they do what they do and they, 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 they're doing quite good in the community. But I couldn't fit in the type of person I was. I would run circles around my family. Imagine being in a church. I'd probably be having the tides every now and then in my pocket, amen. But we cannot hide behind, let me pray about it. There's immediate response, an immediate trusting of God's power when Peter tells us men to get up. The end result is a life transformed and many salvations. They say it's 5,000 in total. A captured life breaks barriers. A captured life moves boundary lines. It erases boundary lines. It breaks barriers. A captured life, just like Peter and John, we ought to understand that we don't have the luxury of time. The time is now to act. Not later or tomorrow after much prayer and deliberation with God. There needs to be an immediate no thinking about it. The response from, these men, from us as men and women of God that brings forth growth. If we want to break barriers, we need to act immediately and don't procrastinate. Peter took him by the hand in verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I had an experience similar to this. I was not lame or anything. I was just strung out on drugs. One year, 24 December 2008, I stole one of the cars at our house. Well, I've lost everything. I used to have everything, you know, all the fancy cars, jewelry. I had houses all over South Africa, holiday houses, all these things. But because of different things, I became an addict. And from being this high flyer, I found myself standing on street corners begging people, man, you don't even have a currency for the money that I was asking people for. I asked them for 50 South African cents. It's minus some odd dollars here. I don't know minus what it is. From having all these things, I found myself standing on street corners. And one day, 24 December 2008, I stole one of the cars. My mom forgot to take all the keys because I, I was so bad. They had to hide all the keys. Everything was locked in one safe location. But this day, my mother was tired and she forgot the key in the kitchen. You know where they hang it with the key holder? I took the keys, took the van, and I drove, you know, pushed it down here. It was a nice down here. Pushed it down here. And I started it outside, so I went to it. And for that whole day, all I did was make nonsense. 
as the clock went, you know, as people started celebrating Christmas, fireworks, those are, I'm breaking into buildings. I don't care about Christmas. I want to make money. I need to smoke. Breaking into places for the whole night. My father's supposed to preach at his church. My sister is also, by the way, also a, a, a reverend from this mainstream churches. So the two of them are supposed to church, and they're looking for me. They're, they're searching for me. They find me Christmas morning in front of the merchant's house. As I come out with my drugs, they get me. My sister's about ready because they slaps me around a few times. And the sicko that I am, I'm feeling sorry for myself. They take the car and they go. I find myself passing out eventually on somebody's grass. And I'm laying there, passed out. I don't know if I'm drunk or high, I, I don't even know. But I'm just passed out. And usually my mother would be the one that would come and reach out. You know, moms with boys, and I'm the baby. So my mother's always there for me. You know how mothers are, give you the money and everything. Don't let your dad see, don't let your dad see. Go, 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 go. But my mother, her heart became hard, you know, hardened. Not because of a lack of love, she just gave up. Every second night, police at our, house, at our house, shootings at our house. My father was always the hard one, but on this particular day, my father came and he fetched me. But as he came, he told me something and, and, and he didn't rebuke me or said anything. He just, he fetched me with so much love. He bent down and he told me, come on, son, let's go. In Afrikaans, he said, come on, Come on, son. Let's go. And in my state of, my father was willing to go all that way to get me and take me home. The following day, I found myself on a plane and I went into the recovery home. You see, my father fetched me as I was laying out, on, I passed out on the, on the grass. And I'm thinking to myself, how did I look? I was sweaty, I was thinking, you know what drugs does? Give you that, that level of, like you have an oil, like it's a certain oil all over your face, amen? I was smelly, I was probably smelling, I don't know how I smelled, but my dad came and he carried me home. A man with heart problems, carried me home, you know, he helped me home, and I was out of it. And I'm thinking about Peter, as he reaches down to this man that's sitting there with his hands all dirty because he's, 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 he's crippled, which means he's probably got dirty hands and then didn't have tired roads. I'm just, I'm just, in my mind, I'm looking at how Peter reaches down and he's not concerned about this man, how he looks or what, what he's touched or whether he's filthy or not. And sometimes we become so sophisticated that we forget that we need to reach people in any place, in any level. When we look at other, and we check, okay, no, he doesn't look so cool. And you want to go to the one that looks at half decent, whose hands is not sticky and stuff like that. But Peter reached out and he takes, and he reaches them, let's pull this man up, and this man begins to walk. Just like my father, and just like Peter, I thank God again for this ministry that reached out to me when I was down and out. They weren't concerned who I was, what I was doing, where I'm from. They knew I needed a savior. This ministry didn't care about anything else but the cause of reaching a nothing. A bomb and turning him into a son of the most high God. They took this bomb and turned him into somebody that can speak God's word. We have modern day Peters and Johns that are willing to dirty their hands and even go out of the way to make sure the lost are found. 
That is why you guys are so, I don't know if you see what, what's happening in this movement or in this church. For you guys to fly to South Africa at own expense, pay for your own flights, pay your own accommodation, pay your food, go also we and, 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 and doing all those things that you did, doing two shows per night, getting home one o'clock in the morning, getting up four o'clock again, staying in the spirit, going and fighting the enemy, I commend you. It's because of people like you, there's people like me. But we cannot get complacent. We need to stay cutting edge. We need to continue on in our fight against the enemy of this fight of, of reaching you know, people for God's honor and for his glory. We need to reach out and take people by the hand wherever we find them. We need to be a church that is reaching people, reaching out with the grace that we have experienced, reaching out with the love that God has shown us. The Bible says, they, they that have been forgiven much, loveth much. I've been loved. I've been forgiven much. I should have been dead. I should have been locked up. I shouldn't be standing here. For me to stand here in itself is a miracle on its own. I have a criminal record. I'm not supposed to leave my country. I'm standing here when they look up and check up. If I ever got convicted of a crime, they don't find anything on any system. I've got two criminal records. One where I shot the guys out and one where I got arrested for armed robbery. Yet when they go and do a search on me, there's nothing in the system that says I got locked up. You see, I've been forgiven much. I've been given extra grace because I needed extra grace. We never, we shouldn't get complacent when it comes to serving God. We, we shouldn't get complacent when it comes to reaching people for God's honor and for his glory. Keep a break and make his will. One night I met up with some guys. I was still smoking crack cocaine. These guys were using a drug called cat. About three, four o'clock in the morning, and all the places where we could get booze were closed except one place. And this place name was Playtime. So I took this guy, it was me, two other guys, and two girls. We went to this place to buy alcohol, you know, buy some drinks. And if that is the like, if you look at that's the door, I'm. I parked like that in front of the door because we're not going to go in to hang out. We're just going to buy stuff and go. So I pulled up. And as I pulled up, a friend of mine, or a guy that I thought was a friend of mine, came and he came to stand with me on the driver's side. Now, we sit on the right side of a car. Not the left, the wrong side, the right side. Amen? So I'm sitting on the right side of the car. As I'm sitting, this guy is talking to me. And I'm talking to him. The two guys goes in to buy alcohol. They come back. And as they come back in, they get into the car. And the lady that's sitting behind me, that time I'm driving a Mini Cooper. And to move the seat, you have to jack it up. You know, like a, it's an action. It doesn't go automatic or anything. But this girl behind me says, hey, you know what? My, the seat is hurting my knees. Can you just move it forward a little bit? And at that moment that I lift up, a shot goes off, a gunshot, bam, first shot. 
and I'm looking outside to see where the shot is coming from. The second shot, pow, pow, pow. and I'm looking outside. But as I turn around, I find that they shot the guy that's in the car, in my car. I rush with him to the hospital, and his last words is, "My nickname was Panchoki or Choki." And he says, "Hey, Chok." In Afrikaans, he says, "Hey, Choki, they hit me." What he says was, they, they got me. And I drove to the hospital, got there, and he passed away on our way to the hospital. The girl sitting next to him was shot in the side. And she was innocent. We just, she wasn't even with us. We just went to fetch her like five minutes before that. She was the other girl's friend. She, wanted, she needed a left home. She went to go buy. She, she had to go do something with her kids. She had a small baby. But they got shot. I get to the hospital and this guy died. I carry his body in and they tell me to take his personal effects and all those things. And the low life that I am, I take his money, all his money, I take it. Give his phone, phone to his family, but everything else I keep it, all the money that he has. We go, I go to the police from the hospital, I tell him, hey, they shot this guy. They tell me to take the car back to the scene and park it as, you know, where it was for them to do that CSI type of thing, re reconstruct the scene. And as we stand there, they come and what happened was the back window, the guy sat and they shot him like just like this through the back window. Could, there's no way he could go. They hit him three times, one in the head, you know, stomach and in his chest. But the glass didn't fall in. It was just the bullet holes were still showing. You know, all cracked up, but the bullet holes were showing. And the CSI guys, the forensic guys come and they put the, the thing through. You know, those things that they put together to show the projectile of the direction it went. So the guys, the forensic, I'm so, what is this war of you guys all about? So I go, no, I'm not a gangster. I'm not with these guys anymore. By that time, I was kind of like out of gangs. You know, when you're a drug addict, people don't want to roll with you can't steal you a liability you send him to prison all those different things it's more like a freelancer that so the CSI guy comes the forensic guy puts those things in he asks me why why are you shooting each other I'm like no I'm not a gangster I don't know why but they were gangsters he tells me see you're not a gangster why was the first bullet meant for your head so I'm like what do you mean and he shows me where those things all put together and later we came to find out that the guy that was that came to stand and talk to me was distracting me. So the first shot was for me. If they could get me, then they know they could kill everybody in the car because then the car won't move. So the first shot was meant for my head. But at that moment when that girl behind me said that her, that she, her, her knees were hurting, that very exact split second when I jacked myself up, the bullet went past my head. I don't know about you. But it's by God's grace that I'm standing here today. That is why we, we, we can't lose hope. We, we, we cannot give up this, this give up on, on, on fulfilling the Great Commission. 
people are dying out there. People are dying because of a block of flats or because of a street corner. Even innocent people are losing their lives because of this. You see, if we give up, then the enemy wins. If we don't step into the calling and if we don't fulfill the Great Commission, then people are going to die even more. I've been forgiven much. I've received so much grace. I'm not supposed to be here. Some of you can relate tonight. That is why when I step into it, when it comes to doing things for the Lord, I give it my everything. I go to church. I'm at the church office at 7 o'clock in the morning every day. Every day. And I find something to do. Because I give my everything when I was in the world, when I used to rob, steal, and, and bring destruction. Now I want to build. And I want to build new lives. I want to give out the hope. I want to tell people that my God is mighty to save and mighty to deliver. I want to tell people that you don't need to love that way. That God is able to do it for you as well. He, he did it for me. He can do it for you. Because of people like you that came and is willing to go. There's people like me. We've been given a great call. Great commission to go and make fishes of men. How many of you are willing to do that? How many is willing to give up their comforts? How many is willing to say, you know what, Lord, if you can use anything, Lord, use me? How many is willing to say, Lord, you know what, I got hurt in church, but I know that if I leave the church because of hurts, then I probably wasn't there for the right reasons. I'm back, Lord. I want to do everything for your honor and for your glory. You see, God has called us for specific reasons. Some of us will stay, but some of us have to go. If you are staying, you're not fulfilling the call that's on your life. Let's stand tonight. I don't know where I'm speaking to tonight. But I hope that some of the word found lodging in your heart. If we became complacent tonight, I pray that this word has just shook us up enough to get us in line again with what we need to do for God. Some of us are sitting in, you're supposed to be singing here on this worship thing. Some of us are just coming to church with no active involvement, yet God has called you to be something mighty, somebody mighty, and somebody, a strong tower in his kingdom. Some of you need to be in the kids' gang helping, helping raise our kids. Some of you have that gift, yet you just come, get fed real good, and you leave. You're almost like Lazarus and Simon the leper. When Jesus came into the presence, they didn't wash his, they didn't give him water to wash his feet even. They just kicked it with Jesus.
The presence of Jesus was nothing for them anymore. Some of us have become so comfortable we don't even pursue after the presence of God anymore. We don't even want to be in His presence. And, and when we're there, we just come in and, and we leave again. But the Bible speaks, it says there was a woman that came and she broke that comfort. She, she, she was there to upset their comfort. When you read on, it says that she broke the box of her perfume, that's expensive perfume. My friend's going to cost you something to be a true, a true worship and a true Christian. It's going to cost you something. And this woman broke this box and the Bible says it flew out. The, it, everything came out. Now if you break something, you cannot control the flow of it. Some of you need to break out of your box. Not step out of that box. Some of you need to step into the presence of God all broken and say, God, like this woman, I'm going to let my hair down. I'm going to let my glory down and I'll wash your feet. But some of us are still stuck on last year's hurts. I don't know who I'm talking to. Some of us are still upset about getting, not getting something that we believe we ought to have gotten. You've gotten salvation, my friend. You're not supposed to be here. Let that be enough for you already. God has called us to take a world for his own and for his glory. God has called each and every one of us to be mighty warriors and women of God that will go into the deeper, those ugly places and tell people, you know what? That God is able to bring forth a new hope in you. But if we're going to get stuck in those boxes that confines us, we're not going to do it. Let's break those boxes tonight. Let's break out of those boxes tonight. Is it okay for us to break out of those boxes? Is it okay for us to say, God, I'm break out of this box. I don't care how it comes out, God. But all I know, like the Zoom, and I need to get to you. I don't care about the murmurs. I, I don't care about the people on the left or the one that's saying, I don't care who says what. I don't even care how they look at me, Lord. But I know I need to get into your presence. For you to give me an infilling of your Holy Spirit.